Now Micah Miller trying to spring a pass ahead. Nobody in front of Jack Paling. Moves on with a blast and scores! Jack Paling! We aren't giving up on chances, and we just got to bottom line execute. Wait, wait. Pass to the front. Great save, Pelosi! As she robs a Cooper in front of her in that one was number eight, Kippen Keller, on the great A opportunity. For me as a coach, that's the kind of D you're always looking for because uh, they don't grow on trees for sure, and, and he's done a really good job being a captain of a really young team this year. It's a really cool thing to see for them to uh, really appreciate what I've done on and off the ice. To the far half wall, Jack Paling trying to play it into the corner. Now Paling turns, squares his body to the slot, sends it up high toward Jack. Shaw makes his play through and they score! Welcome to episode number 50 in the den. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-hosts Nick Maxson and Ben Holden. We've got a lot to get you this week around the college hockey and NHL world. Of course, our weekly roundup will feature the NCHC, the WCHA, and some pretty juicy chaos going on in the desert around Arizona. Of course, we'll catch up with Nick, Ben, and myself talking a little bit about Lake Tahoe and some pond hockey stories between the three of us. And don't forget, we'll recap some men's hockey and preview what's ahead in the NCHC, some trivia and more. First, we'll start off with Center Ice News and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. As always, we start in the NCHC in our weekly roundup and St. Cloud State is a little bit more clarity entering the final two weeks of the regular season. The Huskies got some help as Colorado College beat Duluth on Thursday by a 2-1 score, despite being outshot 43-14. St. Cloud then pushed their conference point total to 43 points with a 4-0 victory at a home ice at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center on senior night. North Dakota clinched the Penrose Cup with a pair of wins against Omaha, going to their second straight Penrose Cup victory, and also helped St. Cloud in the process with the Huskies left with two games against Duluth and North Dakota facing Omaha two more times. St. Cloud holds their own fate in their own hands and Omaha loss in their last two games would see St. Cloud finish no worse than third place in the NCHC conference and a St. Cloud win in one of the final two games will see the Huskies lock up second place in the conference regular season standings. Moving over to the WCHA, as usual, St. Cloud State uh, did not play this week. They were hit with their second wave of COVID, halting all team activities for seven days. St. Cloud was scheduled to travel to Ohio State for a pair of games this past weekend, both of which, of course, were canceled. The Minnesota Golden Gophers rolled over Bemidji State by a combined score of 15-2 at the Sanford Center this weekend, while Duluth narrowly beat Mankato 2-1 last night, and Game 2 is going to be today on Sunday at 3 o'clock Central Time. St. Cloud is set to finish the regular season with two games in Bemidji next weekend, and Wisconsin will visit Duluth in the only other games to round out the regular season play in the WCHA next weekend. Let's stride on over to the NHL, where the Minnesota Wild took to the ice this past week after COVID went through their locker room and halted play for over a week. The Wild were shut out by L.A. Tuesday before getting a pair of wins against the Anaheim Ducks. Single-game matchups against San Jose and Colorado before a pair of games against the Kings round out the week for February 21 through the 28th. 
Kirill Kaprizov, Jordan Greenway. They each lead the team with 11 points, followed by Jewel Erickson Eck and Kevin Fiala with 10 and 7 points, respectively, for the Wild. And it is not the, just the Minnesota Wild Bend that have been ravaged by COVID. The NHL has announced the rescheduling of at least 29 games that have affected 50 teams because of postponements related to the virus. The only other postponements of note are games involving the Dallas Stars. We've seen at least four games called off due to freezing weather and power outages in the state of Texas. Now, in the meantime, reports of service of multiple Dallas Star players who have opened up their homes or wallets to those in need in the Dallas-Fort Worth area because of the weather, including Captain Jamie Benn. The Stars have at least eight games to be made up with four of those against the Tampa Bay Lightning who beat Dallas in this last year's Stanley Cup final for their second Stanley Cup victory in franchise history. Dallas's Lone Cup came in 1999 after the team relocated from Minnesota in 1993 in overtime over the Buffalo Sabres. Yeah, game six. We'll have to definitely touch on that someday. Uh, I don't know about that one, but moving over to the East, speaking of Eastern teams, Sidney Crosby has hit another milestone this week and one that has been a long time coming. The Penguins star forward and captain played in his 1000th game on Saturday with, of course, a special sticks, silver stick ceremony, photos with family and friends, and even teammates replicating Crosby's highly superstitious pregame ritual of untying and retying his skates during warmups on the ice. The Nova Scotia native was the first overall draft pick in 2005. He has tallied 1,276 points, gained three Stanley Cups, at least six league-wide awards, and an Olympic gold medal in 2010. The 33-year-old is under contract until the spring of 2025. Well, the dust-up continues for the Arizona Coyotes out in the desert after former, former GM John Shaka abruptly left the organization and assistant GM Steve Sullivan had his contract terminated by the club last week. The Coyotes slammed down a report released last Tuesday regarding the organizational turmoil in an article published by The Athletic reporter Katie Strang alleges financial and interpersonal turmoil within the organization under their owner who took over in July of 2019. Strang documented financial irregularities such as false documentation given by Arizona to the league instances where players were not paid a portion of their salaries and the organization has at least eight outstanding or overdue balances and debts. The report also says that COVID-19 protocols were breached, intimidation and threats were made by executive management to its employees, one person likely going to jail as well for hacking current GM Bill Armstrong's computer, and at least one case of alleged sexual harassment has occurred. The Coyotes organization called the report, quote, a harassment campaign and declined all interview requests on the matter. Some more NHL organizational moves around the league. Chicago has joined the Toronto Maple Leafs and the New York Rangers as the third team to partner with the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association. And the team will host two Dream Gap Tour events up this upcoming March. The games will occur on March 6th at the United Center and March 7th at Fifth Third Arena. The first contest will be aired at NBCSN. Out east, the New Jersey Devils named young star Nico Hishier as the next captain of the franchise. The 22-year-old has 135 points in just over 200 NHL games played and will be the first Devils captain since 2019. Now up north, Mike Babcock 
and is headed back behind the bench in Canada, but it won't be in the NHL. The 57-year-old will coach the University of Saskatchewan's men hockey team as a volunteer coach starting immediately. Bob Babcock did spend 17 years behind the bench in the National Hockey League, most notably winning a Stanley Cup with Detroit in 2008. Wrapping up the weekly roundup, we have only a handful of player injuries and notes to mention. On Monday, Alice Galchenyuk was once again traded from Carolina to the Toronto Maple Leafs for David Warskowski and a prospect. Uh, Galchenyuk was moved from Ottawa to Carolina one day earlier, as we mentioned on the, sh- on the previous show. He was the third overall pick of Montreal in 2012, but has failed to hit that 20-goal mark in six seasons since his age 21 season with Montreal. He is in the final year of his contract. In transaction news, Anaheim placed 31-year-old centerman Adam Henrique on waivers. He has three seasons left on his contract after this year with an average annual value of just over $5.8 million. He amassed 26 goals and 43 points last season to lead the Ducks, but has only nabbed four points in 16 contests this year. Lastly, in injury news around the National Hockey League, St. Louis Blues forward Ivan Barbashev injured his ankle and will be reevaluated in six weeks, while New York Rangers defenseman... uh, Jacob Truba will miss at least a month with a broken thumb. Finally, Buffalo will be without defenseman Rasmus Ristolainen, who will miss more time as he details his struggles with COVID-19. The 26-year-old blue liner has dealt with significant drops in oxygen levels, intense chest pain, and fatigue since his diagnosis in late January. There is no timetable for his return. Like we mentioned, the big anniversary, the big 5-0 for us here on this show, guys. Episode number 50, uh, like I mentioned, Noah Grant, uh, that's me, joined by my co-host Nick Maxson, as well as Ben Holden. Uh, guys, uh, what's going on in your guys' world? Uh, ben, I hear you got some pretty good news as far as college hockey and yourself is concerned. So maybe uh, fill the listeners in on uh, how your week's been going and uh, been doing anything exciting otherwise. Well, yeah, good to see you guys as always. And uh, your background there is like St. Cloud State was yesterday, man. They were smoking. So uh, <laughs> I like the look, man. I like the look. Thank you. Yeah, um, I'll be doing a regional this year back in the NCAA tournament mix. I'm excited for that. I uh, don't know where or, or exactly uh, who I'm going to be with yet, but I was uh, received a call this week to, to let me know that. So I'm just trying to uh, continue to, to get myself back in the mix. And, uh, you know, after what happened in December and I'm really happy about that. So grateful for that. Looking forward to the tournament. Um, I did tell them if I had a number one choice, it would be Fargo. I said, I'll probably regret that when it's 50 below, if I go there in a month. (laughs) Um, Obviously there's a lot of familiarity with what I think everyone projects is going to be that bracket. Obviously with North Dakota, they're going to be there. I think Duluth and St. Cloud, they're the two teams that have a shot. Uh, to be there. And I think you're probably going to see a Minnesota or a Michigan or somebody along those lines uh, in there as well. So i uh, just been doing that and, and keeping busy and, and doing some prep on some other projects that uh, are still in the works, but uh, great to be with you guys. Hope you guys are doing well. And I love the smoke. No, it looks good. Congratulations on, uh, I, I wouldn't say the new gig, but uh, the reinvigorated gig, if you will, for you, Ben. Uh, Appreciate it. Glad you mentioned uh, men's hockey as well. We are going to touch on that in the show and talk about point implications and see uh, where the Huskies could potentially end up here with a little bit of help and a little bit of work of their own. But uh, kicking it over to our other co-host here who, um, I don't know if he's sleepy or uh, I'm just going to go with sleepy. Maybe overworked is probably the best thing. He's in Uh, game mode, man. Yeah. Well, Mr. Game Mode, uh, let's hear hear, uh, your game plan for today. How are you doing? Uh, it's, it's been a week. We'll put it to you that way. Um, 
it's not it's not that i'm tired it's it's not that um i mean i work seven days a week i do class you know i'm just steal those apart but it's it's more of so uh as we discussed on last week's show you know with the loss of a good buddy of mine his service was on thursday and you know, and it's it's one of those deals where it, it's starting as more time has gone by, it, it started to hit me a little bit harder. Um, there were some some good fun stories that were shared between myself and some other people, but then you get into a topic of with somebody else being involved in that as well. And so, it, unfortunately, it's kind of scrap. It's kind of scratching at an old scar, if you want to call it. That's been there for almost now eight years, and uh, so it's it's been an emotionally draining week. We'll just leave it at that. Well, uh, Nick, we obviously do wish wish you uh, and obviously those involved the best. And uh, we're always here if you need anything. Um, always here to uh, kind of be that rock here at the Huskies Warming House podcast, right? Because we know that, uh, you know, life does take precedence over this great game of hockey that we get to know and love. Um, speaking of the game of hockey, guys, uh, the game of hockey hadn't gone so well for a couple of teams, I would say, this week. Um, first of all, let's start off uh, in the college hockey world. How about Alabama Huntsville playing in their practice jerseys? You guys get a chance to check that out. And They were actually, guys, they're they weren't even Motors. practice jerseys. Fo- yeah. Fox Motors is a, comp- a car company in Marquette, Michigan, and they were their beer league jerseys is what they were. Yeah, they were, uh, they were, I think if I remember correctly, Ben, they weren't, I mean, they were technically practice jerseys, but they weren't Alabama Huntsville's own practice jerseys. Right. They were like plain white. And then they had to like heat imprint, I think like a sponsor logo on it. If I remember the story correctly. Exactly. So the logo was Fox Motors. It was, it was for their, their men's league team is what it was. Yeah, exactly. They were, they were actually- blue and white. So, you know, it kind of fit the part. They were actually pretty slick, like uniforms though. Like, I mean, I I mean, they weren't anything like, Oh my God, fancy, but like they were, they were clean. They had a nice logo, nice look to them. uh, And Alabama Hunts will beat them. So I think they're just going to have to gotta wear them. Yeah. So man, it's, it's college hockey due for reverse retros. I think (laughs) there'd be some cool ones. That's a, that's a great, there would be some good, they they should do it. Honestly, here, shameless plug to the NCAA. That's Get right. college hockey to do some reverse retros or some kind of throwback weekend where every team playing that weekend throws on something different. I think that'd be kind of a cool idea to generate some interest in the college hockey game because I, I, I agree with you. Really good. I think that'd be I kind of fun. Yeah, as long as the revenue stream for people buying jerseys is there because you want to mention Alabama Huntsville, yeah. uh, they got to pay for the jerseys before they you know sell the jerseys. So yeah, uh, double edged sword uh, with Just the let ins- Fox Motors pay for them, man, and Marquette. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now we're going. Now we're going back to the discussion of will college hockey jerseys look like European jerseys when this is all over? Just a bunch of logos and advertisements all over the place. But speaking of advertisements all over the place, guys, uh, a really bad advertisement for the National Hockey League. Uh, how about that game in Lake Tahoe yesterday? And by game, I mean uh, the slushy convention. Uh, <laughs> um, we, yeah, we said it, Noah. We, we've talked about the outdoor games. Now, granted, the spectacle is unbelievable but we've always said that the only real big enemy to the outdoor ice is not necessarily the temperature it's the sun we've talked about this before the stadium series back at dodger stadium you know a few years back now they did it at night and Mm -hmm. from the players that they interviewed um after the game i believe it was san jose and anaheim if i remember correctly um or was it la it was la it was la la right sorry um but they said hey the ice was actually really really good so you talk about i think that the temperature outside was like 70 degrees but you know at night you have nothing that's going to you know, radiate down and, and mess up the, uh, the ice, um, 
uh, chemistry, if you want to call it. Gosh, I feel like Walter White real quick for a second. <laughs> well, well, they, they, they <laughs> but, talked. They but, talked. They talked about the biggest thing too is like even if it is sunny when you're playing in a big venue, uh, sometimes the shadows, especially with these baseball stadiums where you have like high overhead lighting and stuff, they have a chance to kind of deflect some of that sunlight uh, yeah. that, that, that's going on there. Um, I got a hot take for you guys, and I don't know if it's that hot. Um, Where's the lake. smoke, man? You don't have it's any smoking. smoke. Is it smoke? It's smoking hot? It's smoke. It'll, I think, I think it'll, it, it'll emulate as I continue to talk here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, how are we not canceled yet? Um, so obviously the game, I haven't been canceled. <laughs> obviously the game I've started. Been canceled. <laughs> you, you canceled yourself. You cancel cultured yourself, Ben. You um, make fun of yourself, oh boy. Right? You oh fun, boy. Right? Um, okay. So the game started, I believe, was it 2 PM central time or Eastern time? 2 PM central. Yeah. Time, okay. Yeah. So, and obviously the game didn't resume till like 11 o'clock central time guys. I think out of all the stadium series games, and all the winter classic games we've ever seen from the National Hockey League. Hot take here. I think that the nighttime game was the best stadium series or outdoor game we have wow. ever seen. Now I'll let that sink in for it because Nick's got looking at me. He's got he's got this kind of like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. I'll tell you why. Okay. When you go play Toronto versus Detroit in the big house, 105,000 people going nuts. You know, the big F-16 fighter jets coming overhead with the fireworks. It's cool to play outdoors, but it's all about the theatrics, right? It's all about the crowd. It's all about, you know, the big band spectacle as they walk into the arena. Great promotion for the National Hockey League. When I watched that game last night, I see kind of the old school mystery Alaska type, you know, thing right there. No fans in the building natural ice sounds you can hear the chatter you can hear all the plays going on on the ice guys all it makes me think of if i'm a little kid watching that these nhl pros are playing just like i go out and play with my buddies on the pond at 10 o'clock at night underneath the outdoor lights like for me the nostalgia of last night's game was just off the charts and on top of that because of the fact that hopefully we'll have fans the next time an outdoor game rolls around we will potentially never see a pair of hockey games without fans or with the natural aura of what it means to play outdoor pond hockey as we did this weekend. So for me, uh, I don't know if you guys agree with that. I know the theatrics, it's cool to have 105,000 people in the building. Don't get me wrong or outside in the building, I should say. But for me, I was just watching that thinking about like I was 10 years old again, watching that game. So I don't know what your guys' thoughts are. I'd love to hear them. Ben, go first because my opinion doesn't matter. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. All right. Come on, man. Um, you know, I, as I listen to you there, no, I, there, there's, I think there's some, some real good validity in that because yeah, it is about theatrics, you know, whether it was Wrigley feel, whether it was the big house, you know, with a foot of snow, you know, the night before and that day or Yankee stadium or wherever these have been played Fenway. I mean, that's cool, but really it, it is the essence of what outdoor hockey is about. And, and so I, I agree with you on that. I do. I think it's cool. I don't think that it's going to become a regular thing, obviously, because of the cash involved and you want to pack fans in there. But I, I do. I do agree with your point. I think it's cool. And I mean, I stayed up. I'm just glad that Vegas covered the one and a half I had on them because I took a beating <laughs> yesterday uh, for the first time in a, in a month since it's been legal here in the state of Michigan. Uh, I've been doing good, but all kidding aside, um, that part of it was cool. I agree with you. I think it was neat to 
have them out there in the dark and, and, and playing and, you know, Tarico and Eddie Olchuk are right on the glass calling the game and, right. you know, pucks coming over. I mean, I, I just thought it was. I thought it was really the essence and the roots of what playing on a pond, playing outdoors, a lake, a pond, a river, whatever you played on as a kid or maybe you still do now as an adult. I think that part of it was really cool. You know, and it almost makes me think of uh, the, the best hybrid probably between those two mediums, as far as, you know, what is your cash flow, what is your fan engagement and how do you still capture the, the, the primary nature of outdoor hockey? That's hockey day, Minnesota. Yeah. You, you know, right. I mean, you have two or 3000 people that are watching a hockey game, you know, depending on the venue, you got people roaming around doing activities normally on a normal hockey day, in Minnesota. Um, so I, I just love that because um, I'm a small town guy. So it makes me think about, you know, we used to play, uh, you know, on the outdoor rinks all the time and we had it like a Creek or a Crick, whatever you want to call it. I call it a Creek, but um, creek. You, you know, that was right next to the rink. So if you shot one direction, your puck was over the hill and gone. And then of course in the spring, you would go down into the Creek and pick up all your pucks and bring them back and dry them yeah. off for next year. Right. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then on the one end zone was the actual parking lot for the arena that was next to the warming house. Right. So you had guys who, you know, as they got older, you know, Bantams high school, that sort of thing, they'd ring one off the crossbar. And like, we had people who would break windows, <laughs> windshields of cars, cause they would go over yeah. and end up straight in the parking lot. So what would happen was the people who lived in our hometown who were, you know, hometown fans were smart enough to know that you don't park in the parking lot there. You park on the other side. So what would happen would be all these visiting fans would come in, you know, coming to watch a hockey game and end up with their car dented because all the kids were playing outdoor hockey and stuff. So, um, get the net, man. so maybe that's, a, maybe that's a good time to transition here. Uh, Nick, I mean, what did you think of the Lake Tahoe stuff besides uh, the slush convention? Um, and do you have any good like pond hockey or just general like hockey stories from back in your playing day? Maybe we'll kind of open it up and kind of just talk a little bit about uh, um, kind of some of our hockey memories that we have since we highlight our guests so much in their experiences. Don't forget Micah Miller, Will Hammer uh, coming up on Tuesday. But uh, tell us tell us your thoughts on uh, the stadium series here the other day, Nick. Uh, well, first of all, I like the direction the NHL took there. Um, I got one better. So there's a, a really nice area in British Columbia. Um, there's, and granted, this is on a wish list, meaning it's never going to happen. But have any of you two heard of Lake Shushwap in British Columbia? I have not. Can you spell it yeah. for us? S H U S W A P, maybe Shushwap? No, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. Anyway, um, it's, in, it's basically in the Canadian Rockies. So the whole idea with Lake Tahoe was to add it because, I mean, you you and I, actually, all three of us are very active on Twitter, right? And we see those really awesome skating videos of a guy that is on a lake, but he's basically surrounded by the mountain range, right? Yeah. And that's kind of, I think, the if you want to call it the hockey heaven, I think that's what it is. And I think the NHL was trying to bridge that gap a bit. Lake Shushwap um, is a very popular um, tourist and vacation spot in British Columbia because it it is in the Canadian Rockies, but it's a very, a very narrow lake. And I think what I, what I'd like to see is an exhibition game. This will never happen. Well, how cool would the NHL be if they did like some all-star exhibition game, like actually like a pond hockey style where you'd put the nets down and maybe there is no boards, but they're actually on the ice on a lake. And then they're doing something a little bit different like that. It would be a pain in the rear end to produce that. But that to me is the next step because the, I, I loved 
you know, surprisingly, you know, we actually agree on something for once. How about that? Um, where the, the whole idea of taking, you know, the fans, yes, the NHL wants a revenue stream, but you know, at the end of it, if, if you can kind of recreate that, you know, I guess it's the nature of the open air and just like the sounds of the puck hitting the boards and all that good jazz. Um, like I said, the guys, uh, Mike and you know what they were by the boards where it's almost I mean, you know the hockey parents just watching with their cup of coffee or whatnot I think that's what I would like to see that's kind of on my hockey wish list is take them up to a rink like that broadcast it but put them on the actual on the lake you know don't put a rink next to it but just do an exhibition game best way to do it make up all the all-star, all-star festivities I think that would be super super fun that's like the ultimate throwback and you see them in NHL video games right now they're doing those kind of game modes. And I think for most hockey fans, I think that'd be kind of fun to see the pros do that and do like an actual pond hockey style where there's no nets, but just the wood cutout boards at the slide underneath, no goaltenders, just something, I know something to be different. I think that'd be a kind of a fun, neat uh, thing for me on Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Nick, be- is that, sorry, is that where is, so I'm sure you guys saw the video when Troy Stetcher went up there. Is that where he went? I think that's so. Yeah. yeah. That's the spot. That was on, that's unbelievable. That's a great idea. Yeah. So, and like, um, uh, the thing that's kind of, I, I don't want to say baffling, but you know, hockey is even as American, as an American, you can say hockey is Canada's game. It really is. Um, why in the world that we haven't had more outdoor games up North kind of baffles me because you have your right conditions. First of all, it's just so, it's just all, so tough to produce. That's, that's, a, that's just all it is. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. And you want it, they want to make money so you can't get, you yeah. know, Let's say you they got to offset the cost. Yeah. Right. Let's say they did it in St. Cloud. I mean, how many people, yeah, you'd probably get a lot of people, but you're not, you're not going to have the, the money generated. That's my take. But counter argument is if you have it up in the, the Yukon, even if it's sunny, it's not going to be 75. It's still going to be negative 75. <laughs> so your ice is still going to hold up. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but eyes are frozen. But Ben, I, I, I heard that you were out on the, weren't you out on the pond recently? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? Do you have any like great like hockey stories or hockey memories? I mean, broadcasting too, from like your playing days or like just funny things that you've seen throughout your time in the game of hockey. Um, yeah, I'll think about that a little bit. There's probably a lot, but um, to your first point, so about a thousand feet out my, my back door, the city floods a parking lot and, you know, um, I think we're all dealing with stuff mentally and emotionally. Um, you know, we're inside, we're stuck. Um, I'm going through a transitional phase of my life. And, you know, as you guys know, and so I, I last Sunday, I was like, I got to get out of here, out of here being the house. And I went out for about an hour and a half threw the wheels on, just went out, put my phone in my pocket, put some tunes on. How, how are the hands? Oh, they're fine. I mean, you know, I never had great hands anyway. I was a bottom six guy. So I was a grinder, but uh, yeah, it just felt good to get out there. I went out there the next couple of days and, you know, wheeled around just again to get some clarity in my head, you know, and, and uh, just to get out, get a little exercise too. And so that's fun. I skated out there with my son, you know, the last couple of years uh, when he was around and, but, you know, as a kid, man, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you guys. The first time I really got interested in hockey was February of 1980. I was nine years old February 22nd. and a buddy of mine, Andy Shepard. He was my neighbor right across the street. We had golf clubs and Jif peanut butter jars. We made into pucks. That was the first <laughs> time I'd really played hockey. I'm serious. And it lasted about an hour until I had a nine iron, literally a nine iron and shot one over his eye and he was bleeding from it. 
And, you know, and from there, obviously it morphed into, you know, getting equipment, getting the right equipment, getting right. pucks and, and skates. And, and that's really where I fell in love with it, which the anniversary I believe is Monday, the 22nd. So mm-hmm. um, it'll be what, 41 years. 41st, so, yeah. you know, and this is unscripted by the way, folks, we didn't plan this. And uh, you know, and that's, that's really guys where my love of the great sport of hockey started was, was in that moment watching the Americans win when I was nine and I was a kid, probably like you guys that played a lot of different sports. I still kept playing basketball because I thought I had a jump shot for a 5'11 guy. <laughs> you still shoot a little bit. But, try being uh, five, try being five eight. Right. You know, so but it, it just became my love. I just fell in love with it. I loved what it gave me. I love what it the way it made me feel. Um, we had a neighborhood pond close to where I lived, Trishel's pond, and Mr. Trishel would have had a little plow on his tractor and he would plow it and there were a lot of neighborhood kids out there. And it was just something that, you know, it's, it's obviously stuck with me for the next 41 years of my life. And uh, you know, that's, that's really how it started for me guys. Speaking of uh, jump shots, I'm six, four, and I still can't hit one. Um, <laughs> you know, you mentioned the miracle uh, on ice. Of course, last year we covered the 40th anniversary at the Herbrooks national hockey center, you know, kind of a, you know, a big deal that we had there uh, for me just prior to that, to sit down. Cause like you mentioned, Ben, you remember watching that hockey game. Of course, neither of us, were, neither of us were alive. Right. Yeah. Um, but I got, you know, sit down with Mark Johnson and, you know, sit down for 15 minutes and interview him about that. And, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to kind of link those two moments, because for us, we actually have probably the same influence. It's just mine is the 2004 film miracle and the depiction of that. So to bring that to a next generation of, you know, fans and hockey kids, I I think that's such a big deal. Um, I probably have to go back to thanking my dad because we have a lake and a pond next to our house. And the beauty of this pond is it's um, you could probably fit about two thirds of a hockey rink on this pond, you know, with the snow banks as you're pushing on. So it's a, it's a nice little, you know, thing for a game of shinny two on two, three on three. Well, um, the nice thing is it's surrounded on three sides by trees, tall trees. And then the four side has a hill that you have to come down. So the wind blockage is amazing because you get these temperatures where it's negative 20, negative 25, but you don't have the wind that's coming through. So you can still go out and bundle up and you have really good ice. Well, my dad used to flood that every year. And by the end, when I was getting older, he actually made lights that he ran from the house down to the pond and you could go down at 10 o'clock at night and flip the lights on, on the pond and go skate, you know, behind the house. And like, that's just, I mean, again, going back to Lake Tahoe, I just think that that's a great memory. I did want to throw one memory at you guys. Um, and it's a, it's a trend that we had in college and Nick, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. We did this with our team uh, and it's an initiation process of sorts, if you will. And they're called shoe checks. Have you got, have any of you ever gone through shoe checks before? No. Okay. So, um, So what shoe checks are is a lot of times when you're not, you know, a division one hockey player and you're traveling places and you have to go like, for example, our national championship was in New York, Binghamton, New York. So that's 28 hours each way. So of course you're stopping. We, we practiced um, at Notre Dame. We practiced at West point at army's rink. Um, But along the way you have to stop and eat food because we're humans. (laughs) So if, if you play for a smaller college, a lot of times you end up stopping at bigger colleges and eating at the cafeterias there, especially ones like with Sodexo that have the same company because they give you a discount on getting your players to be able to eat food. Well, we stopped, you know, all over places. And one of the places we stopped was in Mankato, 
you know, Minnesota Mankato, home of the Mavericks. Men's team is playing. Well, we get there at about five o'clock in the afternoon, right? Um, and this place is packed. There's probably 2,000 people in this in this lunchroom or dining hall at this particular time. And what shoe checks are is you have to take a food item of sorts. You have to take like a piece of lettuce, a tomato, something like that. You have to crawl under the table around whatever. And you have to set that food item on the tip of somebody else's shoe and then get back to your seat and start, you know, clinking, clinking your cans. And if the person does not catch you in that time, that person has to do whatever the team says that they have to do in that environment. So what happened was um, I got shoe checked in this thing in front of 2000 people. Right? <laughs> and I'm at the mercy of my teammates at this point, 18 years old, I'm a freshman. So they tell me that what I have to do is something called beep, beep, I'm a Jeep. And what beep, beep, I'm a Jeep is, is you take an orange or an apple, you put it on the floor and you have to push it with your nose across the floor and say, beep, beep, I'm a Jeep and go as far as until they tell you to stop. So I'm in this lunchroom with 2000 people. You know, they're all sitting there talking. All of a sudden, here's me on my hands and knees on the floor going, beep, beep, I'm a Jeep, beep, beep, I'm a Jeep, going across the floor in the middle of all these people I don't know. You want to talk about team bonding, guys. I mean, there is no better way, I think, to do something like that. But from that moment on, I never got shoe checked again. I always sat at the end of the table. I kept my feet out where I could see them. And I wasn't messing around with it, boys, because that was, that was something else. So I, I, don't, I don't know if you guys have any other hockey stories to add here. But for me, that was one that always stuck out is like, boy, you want to talk about getting an 18 or 19-year-old college kid to feel more comfortable with guys who had played junior, you know, who are 22, 23 years old. Talk about an initiation process. So. Uh, any other ho funny hockey stories from either of you? Oh, geez. I got to go back in the archives. Um, <laughs> I do remember, I do remember another story. Um, and and I, I have to be careful telling this story, but it, it is kind of funny to me. So I'm just, when I tell this story, I'm just going to put this out there. Whatever direction you go um, with your sexuality, we are totally comfortable with on this show. And I, and I say that because of this. So we were up, we were actually at Oak in Eau Claire um, and we were eating once again in a cafeteria, which Eau Claire's cafeteria is pretty cool. But of course, we're a group of 25, 26 guys on a bus. We've been on a bus for nine hours. You know, we're young guys. So we pull in seven, eight o'clock, a little bit later, you know, it's dark outside. So you can't see that well. You can only see like the street lights that are on campus, right? All of a sudden we see these two people in short shorts that come running around the side of the bus. Like they're coming towards the bus. And of course, one of the guys goes, and they've got ponytails. So we're like, guys, look at, there's some girls that are coming. They're gonna run by the bus, right? So all the guys whoosh, right? To the one side of the bus, they get closer. Couple of guys with ponytails and full beards <laughs> running in short shorts. So, gotcha. uh, so it was kind of funny. Um, um, did you guys ever used to do? Uh, we used to do like team courts too, or team fines, where every week if you did something stupid, like if you tripped in warmups, you hit a goaltender in the head during warmups, uh, you just did something dumb, uh, you could get fined a certain number of like, um, 
like dollars per week. And of course it all went into the keg fund at the end of the year after the season was over. But uh, um, we used to do those kind of things too. But I'm uh, um, speaking of college hockey guys. I think this might be a good time to move over into the college hockey world. And of course our St. Cloud state men's hockey team, we're going to open it up first. Um, let's do our trivia question first. Cause I think it will flow very nicely here. Um, as Ben mentioned, this is very unscripted and they let me host. So that's a terrible combination. Dangerous um, mix. Very dangerous. So <laughs> Into our trivia question here. The question was, St. Cloud State men's hockey is on pace to finish with 24 regular season games played this year. The most ever played in a season was 42 games in 2001-02. And Ben, what other year would that be? What other year would they have had uh, That would have games? been the 12-13 season. It had to have been. Nailed it. Yep. Yeah. The least ever played in St. Cloud State history happened twice in 1951 and 52 and 63, 64. That would be six games. Wow. When was the last time St. Cloud State men's hockey played less than 24 games in a season? Do either of you know the answer to this one? 76. 91. Ben, you're kind of close. 1973-74. This is the correct answer. St. Cloud State was coached by Charlie Bash at that time, played 23 games. They went 15-6-2 for a 7-14 winning percentage. So not, not a bad season for them. Um, Who did and, they play when they played six games? Do you know, Noah? Oh, I would have to, I would have to look. Um, I, I just I wondered, you don't have to. I just wondered if you had it in front of you there. No, I, I'm prepared, but not that prepared. Um, Understood. But speaking of being prepared, we have mentioned the leaderboard for two line fan trivia on the show. A couple of times, we are going to cap the end of the two line fan trivia season for this year. We're going to cap it on April 10th of 2021. That will be the last time we will ask a question for this season of trivia. Do either of you know what April 10th of this year signifies? Nick, go ahead. National championship. National championship game. So once the national championship game is played that Saturday will be the last two line fan trivia for this season's leaderboard. Currently Brody Falconer was our winner this week. He sits at 11 wins. Tinner Heath sitting at eight wins and fight the pants at five wins. So Tinner Heath has some work to make up here to try to catch Brody Falconer uh, atop that leaderboard. But guys, men's hockey single game this weekend against Colorado college, a four to nothing win pretty decisive four to nothing win. Um, I'd like to open up the floor to either of you who want to, who want to mention uh, what your thoughts were on this weekend's uh, um, matchup against the Colorado college tigers. And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, what those points mean for St. Cloud state moving forward here. So Ben, Nick, what did you guys think about the Huskies performance this weekend? Go ahead, Nick. I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of it. Um, I was caught up with some work stuff, but I did rewatch a little bit last night. Um, I just like the way they played, honestly. Um, they were structured. They didn't allow CC to frustrate them. And uh, I, oh, Nolan Walker, man, he, he's yeah. a different player this year. Um, that you should have been an SC top 10 goal, honestly. That second goal that he scored mm -hmm. um, for the team, uh, just, you know, the patience to walk around and then to tuck it in. Uh, I mean, if Nolan Walker, and, and to me, that line of Nolan Walker, Chase Brand, and uh, who else is on that line? Why can't? Why am I drawing a blank right now? Um, that's oh. up there. That's this is this is embarrassing. Brodzinski was um, with him. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, he's with. Yeah, him. Was that Brodzy? Yeah, okay, I thought it was. Yeah. Uh, you know, if 
Because we know that the flying fins are going to be a dangerous combo. We we know that Sam Hench's, you know, it can score if he if he feels it. Um, but to me, it's going to be guys like Noah Walker, Mike and Miller, uh, mm-hmm. Jared Cockrell, uh, Will Hammer. Those guys mm-hmm. can also find the score sheet. That's a four line deep hockey team. That's going to be you know t- to me the important part of how far this team can go, especially the NCAA tournament. So, you know, obviously David Rennick getting a shot out there is, is helpful. That gives him some confidence rolling into uh, next week's one game uh, tilt against the, the Duluth before they have to do it again uh, the following week. But uh, to me, just an overall really good game. I think there's making strides. Well, to me, you have to be trending upwards. You have to be playing your best hockey going into this. You can't plateau too early. And San Claus State with a little bit of adversity lately, I think it's it's gotten them level headed. And that, you know, to, to me, it's a different team that we've seen even the 2017, 18, 18, 19 teams, which we know were stacked. But to me, that team was peaking too early, and I like the way this team is still trending up here late in the regular season. Ben, you got a matchup against the Colorado College Tigers last weekend. You and I got a chance to take in a little bit of that game yep. on Thursday up in Duluth. <laughs> uh, um, first of all. Uh, tell me your thoughts, obviously, on the weekend for the Huskies, but also in that Duluth game. What did CC do that well? And did salute, did CC steal one at the end of that hockey game there? 100% they did. And what they did in that game, uh, we'll get to yesterday next. What they did in that game was Dominic Bassey stood on his head. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy had, what, 42 saves, 41, 42 saves. I mean, he played great in that game. Um, I mean, at one point, I think the shots were 19 and nine. You and I were texting pretty much throughout the whole game. 20, and 20, 29 to nine. 29 to nine. Yeah. Yeah. Even worse. Yeah. But they, they, they weathered the storm. I mean, that's what they did. And, and, you know, I think that the late goal, it wasn't the most decisive replay. And I'm not rooting for, for Minnesota Duluth here, but I thought it was a goal. Uh, but nevertheless, yeah. um, a, you got to net. A net cam would have really helped in that scenario there. It would have. I mean, it was all about the whistle and the, the puck was clearly, but nevertheless, you got to hand it to CC. I mean, I'm going to go back to December and think back to when the first week of the pod, Minnesota Duluth was playing well. They beat North Dakota. That's a huge emotional game. They came back the next game. I believe it was the very next game. I didn't do that game, but it was the, it was either the next game or the game after. I'm pretty sure it was the next game. They lose 4-1 to CC. And and to me, it's one game, but they just haven't seemed right. They've had their moments, and I know they played a bunch more games, but they weren't right to me the rest of the pod when they lost that game. And obviously, it gave CC a lot of confidence. Um, You know, they did did relatively well in the, the nine games they played in the pod or eight games. And, and, and I thought they came out of there in pretty good shape considering they had a couple of bad games in there before the Duluth game. Um, you know, Minnesota loose lost three in a row. And it, to me, it's still a team that can get it done, but you know, I don't think they do unless Kepke and Sweeney are driving the ship. Those two guys have to, I know the Cates brothers are great players. They contribute a lot. They're leaders of that team. But I go back a couple of years ago to a conversation and a call that we had uh, getting ready for a game with, with Sandlin. And, and the phrase he used was, and he used it with us more than once throughout the last couple of years, was about Cole Kepke. He's got to be a key driver of their team. I think he's a next-level player. I think if him and Sweeney aren't doing that, I don't know that they're going to go that far this year. And I, and I love the matchup coming up with St. Cloud. You know, you got the intricacy of – 
of Brett being there and knowing their guys and knowing Sandy and, and knowing what they do and vice versa. It, it's an intriguing uh, two-game set. So, you know, as far as yesterday, I thought it was a complete win, and I thought the guys played really well. They did what they were supposed to do. It was a good dress rehearsal for them because now, let's be honest, I think each game moving forward, especially once they go to the Ralph, it's single-game elimination. You don't win, you don't play well, you're done. And if you think back to last year with this team, before the COVID pandemic shut us down, this team was trending in the right direction. They were the Western Michigan of last year. They were the Western of last year. Yeah, they had played well down the stretch. And, you know, we obviously didn't get to finish the year. But, you know, that's what I think. I think the absolute best part of the entire day was Seamus Donahue taking the hot lap. That was awesome. That was, and Rennick was great too, man. I, I thought, and th- there's a lot of guys I've gotten to know really well. Uh, Rennick's one of them. Brodzinski's another guy, you know, th- those guys, you know, I tip my hat to them, you know, to, to go through the season they did. And I say that for all players in college hockey, but specifically the Husky guys. And I know uh, thanks for everything over the years, your time and, you know, talking with us and, and just uh, they're good guys. And I wish them all the best of luck here the rest of the year. Yeah, we're going to touch a little bit on, uh, you know, what this means for St. Cloud State moving into the last two weekends against Duluth. Like, like Nick, mentioned, Nick mentioned, I should say, single game matchups the next two weekends. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, you mentioned Duluth in the pod. I think that just continues to add to the case that even these upper echelon teams in the NCHC kind of have that opponent or two that really finds a way to get their number CC with Duluth Western Michigan with pretty much everybody. Now it seems like <laughs> uh, uh, even Miami has taken a game, you know, from the Huskies, this yeah. league is a very, very strong league. One of the things that I touched on in the post game recap uh, about yesterday's game that I did want to point out though, St. Cloud five penalties in the contest. And I think there's been kind of a trend uh, with St. Cloud and kind of that mental toughness over 60 minutes, especially, you know, come tournament time, if they, if they get up, you know, two, three, nothing on an opponent, I think St. Cloud has a tendency sometimes to let off the gas a little bit. They start, you know, running around a little more in their own zone. They start taking penalties because they're just not locked in and the gas pedal is not to the floor. I think that's the only thing that I noticed from yesterday that I would like to tweak and see a little bit more that full 60 minute effort. I still don't think we've seen it yet from this Husky team in the second half of the season. We've gotten close. We've gotten some really good looks, probably about 55 minutes up in Duluth, those one games. But I really want to see that complete 60-minute effort in at least one of the last two games, if not both. What does this mean for the St. Cloud State team here, guys? North Dakota clinching the Penrose Cup at 50 points, meaning St. Cloud State, the best they can do is 49. North Dakota will be the number one seed in the NCHC entering the tournament. St. Cloud, like we mentioned, does control their own destiny with a win. They will move to 46 points, pushing them in sole possession of second place. Or if Omaha loses one of their last two games against North Dakota, St. Cloud can do no worse than third place. So even if St. Cloud got swept by Duluth, which hopefully that doesn't happen, but Omaha loses, St. Cloud would still be in third place. So if Omaha wins both their games and St. Cloud loses both of their games, that is the only way that St. Cloud finishes worse than third. So you kind of know what's at stake here for the Huskies and what's at stake is a first round matchup with potentially Denver and Western Michigan versus a Colorado Mm -hmm. Miami. So St. Cloud really has a great, great opportunity here. Um, Nick, what does this Huskies team need to do in the final two games of the regular season besides win a hockey game? How are they going to get there against this Duluth team? 
Well, you know, Duluth and St. Cloud State have always been an intriguing matchup because they're, they're very similar stylistic teams. Uh, to me, St. Cloud and, you know, what they have to do is to mm-hmm. essentially just play their game. I mean, at the end of it, you know, Minnesota Duluth at times when they've seen this matchup together, often what you see happens is Duluth will take away the middle of the ice between the Huskies. And you'll see the Huskies try to do stretch passes. They, they get away from that fork check. They try to carry the puck in and Duluth just stands up creates turnovers at that blue line, and then it's transitioned back the other way. You can't get frustrated. You have to take what's given to you, and you can't force plays. And so to me, I, we talk about 60-minute games. We talk about starts with this team. Um, yeah, that's important, but I think more so within that 60 minutes, you have to make sure that you don't just get away from your game plan. Duluth, as we know, is a team that's so structurally sound defensively, and they just make you get away from your game. That's how Duluth beats you. And if St. Clos can just maintain their identity throughout the next two games against the, the Bulldogs, that's how they're going to win this hockey game. And to me, they have to also step up physically. Duluth is a team that, you know, again, this is a good rivalry. Uh, they force you, you know, to really, you know, kind of step up the physicality in that play. So answering the bell, you have to do that as well. And to me, if they can do that, that's a good recipe to getting not only one, but two wins and securing that second spot. And you know what? As the current standings, as, a, as we see right now, if it finishes uh, with the current standings, St. Cloud post-Colorado College in the first single elimination game in the NCHC tournament. So to me, that's a favorable matchup. You avoid Western Michigan, and more so you can at least try to get one playoff game under your belt. You feel good about yourself, and you continue that trend upward, which I think the Husky teams needs to feel and needs to do it to order to get themselves some momentum going into the NCAA tournament. I definitely agree. Uh, yeah, you know, getting either Colorado College or Miami, whoever's going to be in that seven spot, you know, would be a very different matchup than a Denver or Western Michigan. Let's just put it that way. Uh, ben, do you have anything else to add on the men's hockey side? Don't forget women's hockey hopefully is back in action against Bemidji State. Um, hopefully getting over their second COVID scare, kind of uh, kind of frustrating to see that happen. Ben, uh, anything else to add on the men's side? I have one more hockey-related question for you. Unless, Ben, what do you want to talk about today on the show? I feel like we, <laughs> I feel like we kind of drive the ship a little bit. The only other question I was going to ask here, Ben, was um, going back to Sidney Crosby's 1,000th game, is Sidney Crosby a top-five player of all time? I heard a couple of analysts discussing that the other day, so I was kind of curious on your thoughts on that, but – what do you want to talk about today, Ben? What do you well, got? I just want to go back and just, I mean, look, these two games, we, you, the three of us talked about it, I think three weeks ago. And I think we were all on the same page, <clears throat> excuse me, that these were going to be, these were probably going to, this was probably going to be a split. They played four times since the pod, four, three in overtime, three, one, four, three and one Oh, buckle up. It's going to be intense. Both these teams need to win. Uh, I'm going to, I'm looking forward to watching, uh, watching these games coming up this weekend. I think they're going to be great games. Uh, it's really playoff hockey. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, I, I think Minnesota Duluth is in jeopardy of, and this isn't any big, I'm not going on in a very sh- long limb here. I think they're in jeopardy of missing the tournament. Yep. I mean, think about that. Think about what this team, love them or hate them. Think about what this team has done in the last four years. Bringing back, bringing back to back national champions right now. Three straight national championship games. And for, for my money, I know we can't bet in college, but it's an expression of speech. They were the favorite to me last year. Even as good as North Dakota was playing, they were the favorite because of yeah. they've been there, they've done that. I'm not counting them out. I think it's going to be a hell of a series between the Huskies and the Bulldogs. That was really all I wanted to add. 
Yeah, it, you know, and it's really going to come down to can Omaha finally give that extra effort to prove that they're going, they're a top three team in the NCHC, and it's really going to they have a tough hill to climb. But to be honest, I, Ben, you're shaking your head at me. I'm going to go the I'm going to go I'm going to go the other way on this though. Obviously, of course, especially with the blowout, it was, was it seven one North Dakota seven, last one. night against fight night in the last minute of the game last night. It was so, just so. Here's my here's my question for you, Ben. What if Omaha beats wins the last two games against North Dakota? I think that's their opportunity to kind of show that they are still a contender of a team in this NCHC conference. I feel like they've had that up and down year, but you mentioned Duluth with the loss of Scott Perunovich, with the loss of Hunter Shepard, with the loss of someone, I don't even want to say firepower, but with the loss of just that defensive stability to know Back that, end, man. Yeah, exactly. When you know yeah. that you're, when you're heading in your own zone, you're going to get a save from your goaltender, a, a solid first pass or a puck carrying defenseman that's getting the puck out of the zone. Right. Uh, you know, Duluth still a very good hockey team, but they're missing that dark horse X factor. I think that they've had in years past where they can come in and surprise hockey teams. Um, I agree with you. So I guess and that's the, I'll go back to, like I was mentioning Kepke and Sweeney, those guys, and they've done a ton. I'm not piling on them. I don't like to pile on guys, especially college players. They're pros fine, but those two guys they're I mean, pick who are the two most important guys that you guys feel on St. Cloud have to be consistent and bringing it every day. It doesn't matter who they are, but there's going to be a couple guys that you could say that about on their team. And to me, you're right. It, it's been a different year without Shepard. It was weird the first game and we called it in Omaha and he wasn't in there. You're like, what the hell's going on here? And then he's texting Dave and I, you know, and they're watching. So it, everybody goes through it. Um, as far as Omaha goes, I just don't see it. Even though North Dakota's got it wrapped up, they won the cup. It's a focus group. It's the most talented team in the country. Hands down. There's no team with more talent top to bottom than that team, in my opinion. And, and I just don't think they, I don't think Brad Berry lets them let up. Yeah. And, no. and Omaha to me, they look, I loved them coming out of the pot. I really did. I loved the mix they had, but they just, for whatever reason, they, they, they haven't gotten over the hump and got one of those big wins. Mm -hmm. And until they do it, they got to prove it. Okay. So I, I like the point that you made, Ben, let's discuss that a little bit here. Who are the two guys for this St. Cloud State team that are going to drive the bus? Um, for myself, Nick. all right, Nick, you can go first since you seem very animate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one's very obvious. I think the second one isn't so obvious. Uh, first one is Nick Purvix. Yep, that's Honestly, he yep. he's yeah. he's the driving force on the back end for the way that he has been able to. Yep. Really just break out of his shell offensively, but defensively. Mm -hmm. We saw that, uh, was it a couple weekends ago when, uh, was it against Western, was it against Miami, uh, where when he was playing well, he this team was on fire. When he was like all over the place and happy and not yep. sh the next night, this team was struggling. So to me, Nick Perbix is a driving force in the back end. And to me, it's Sam Hentges up front. He's yeah. a guy that, even though he doesn't necessarily find the score sheet every single week, to me, mm -hmm. if he's skating, if he's creating offense, if he's making defenses, having to respect what he can do, that to me feeds off the other line. So to me, it's those two players that drive the bus for St. Cloud State at the current moment. Great I call, have, Nick. I, I yeah. couldn't agree with you more because watching Perbix at the start of the year for the, for the 38 games that were played in Omaha, when he was on, they were on it all, you know, it's, 
you start from the back end and, and he, you're you right, do. man. I agree with you hundred percent on both guys. Yep. I agree with you guys too. Perbix was my number one guy. Um, you can even <clears throat> throw David Rennick in there. I'm going to, yep. I think, I think you can make an argument for even Nolan Walker or Kevin Fitzgerald. Um, yeah. I'm going to throw one out here that I think you guys, um, you know, might be a little bit surprised at, and that's Will Hammer. And Will Hammer, I actually agree with you. Will Hammer is on my list because of, of this. Because of this, you know, you're hopefully going to get that speed game out of Micah Miller. Even Micah Miller could be in this conversation, but you know, hopefully you're going to get that buzzsaw mentality from Sam Hentges. And if anything, he's going to be that kind of pivot in the middle, especially on special teams. It's going to kind of be that, that foundation for you. Yep. You're going to get a good game out of the flying fins. You're going to get a really mature game out of guys like Spencer Meyer, uh, Luke J. Jaycox, something like that. Yep. Will Hammer is that guy, that fourth line glue guy that when his line is rolling, when he's throwing the body, when he's being physical, when he's, contributing offensively not only on the score sheet which when he contributes on the score sheet the huskies i believe have won almost every game that he's scored in um but just contributing as far as being that fourth liner being that bottom six guy you're not expected to score but you're expected to be that energy line that you are i'm going to get to you nick that we that you that you are going to be for 35 seconds because a lot of times your shifts are shorter your 35 second shift you're hemming the team that you're playing in their own zone so that when Sam Hench's line comes off, you're keeping them in their own zone, getting those guys a chance to rest. Next thing you know, you've got a, a team that's on their heels in their own zone for two minutes because of what, what Will Hammer's line did. Then your guys like Mietnin and Cronulla come back in, grab that puck that's been cycled around by the Huskies for the past minute and a half, boom, in the back of the net. So I think guys like Will Hammer, not only for their leadership ability, but just their ability to be so tenacious on pucks, play the game the right way. It's simple. It's smart hockey. It's north-south hockey. That's one of the things that I love about Will Hammer. And don't forget, he's coming on our show Tuesday. All right, Nick, what do you got? Shameless plug. (laughs) Shameless plug. Um, You can't be puck pursuant you can't control any of that without being a face-off master. Yep. And it's not just the numbers, but if you watch when Brent Larson has put Will Hammer's lineup both in the offensive zone as well as defensive zone draws, they're late in games, they're in critical, like maybe where the ice is tilting one way or the other, Will Hammer and that fourth line's ability to control the puck possession off of a face-off, whether it's in the offensive zone and to get that, again, that four-checking ability going, or in the defensive zone where St. Cloud, for a lot of people who know the game, they run a lot of face-off set plays, both in offensive and defensive zones. The fourth line executes those to such a high degree of success that Brett Larson is comfortable throwing this line out to get the, to get the puck out of their zone, to get back in the offense, offensive zone, again, to establish that four check again. So to me, when you can roll four lines, and we've talked about this before, if St. Cloud isn't rolling four lines, they're not the same hockey team. That fourth line is such an integral part of how this team can just run and gun to establish that four check and for Brett Larson to feel comfortable with just you know, rolling through his bench. Uh, to me, you make great points, Noah, but it all starts with face-offs. And to me, I just look at the way that Brett Larson has utilized and been comfortable and feel positive about putting that line out in key situations. To me, that's the greatest you know, 
what do you call it, tale of, you know, how confident he is in those three guys and what he can bring in those types of situations to, again, to allow, like you said, guys like Mietin and Brodzinski, Sam Hitches do their thing offensively. That line is so undervalued to the, I guess, the casual fans eye that they deserve a lot more credit than what they're getting. And yes, they don't always end up on the score sheet, but they truly get that third, fourth, fifth assist because of what they're doing. They're doing all the dirty work for the other guys. And Brett, well, Larson, it, Brett Larson has said that himself. The one phrase before I kick it over to you, Ben, really quickly. Yeah. Um, Brett Larson says all the time when he gets interviewed, and I love listening to Brett talk. Like, is that is that weird to say? I just love listening no. to him talk hockey. But no, um, I do too. He loves to say they're the fourth line on on the lineup sheet, but they're not the fourth line in our locker room. He loves to use that phrase and he loves to use that phrase, not because he loves to do it, but because it's true, because you look at this lineup and you talk about situational awareness. Another guy, Kevin Fitzgerald, a very strong face-off man, especially on special teams in his own right. You talk about guys that he's able to trust in those special situations, especially the upperclassmen. We saw that on senior night against CC. Um, you got to love St. Cloud State's chances if they can continue to build on what they've done so far. Benny, what do you got? Yeah, I was just going to add to that, you know, following up to what Nick was talking about. It, it, you know, I, I forget who it was in that when the when the Vegas Colorado game resumed last night, about eight and a half hours later, whatever it was. Nevertheless, there was a big hit, and it changed the momentum. And and all those guys that Nick's talking about, you know, they don't have a ton of points, but they're not out there to produce points. Those are plays where it can face offs like Nick talked about. Those are huge. Mo- when you got the puck, man, it means the world And those guys. They, they bring that, they bring all the intangible things that you don't see necessarily in the box score. And those are big things for a hockey team. And look, I mean, Brett was with Sandy for a long time, you know, it's kind of the same formula. You know, you think of what, what Duluth had the last two, three years with their fourth line, they were key guys in their success. And if, if the Huskies are going to keep doing that hammers, guys got to keep laying the hammer boys. And you talk about the intangibles of what make kind of a bottom forward here. Um, A lot of times your bottom six guys, not always, but a lot of times your bottom six, or maybe even like bottom nine, if you will, are guys that are a lot of like, especially defensive special teams, your penalty killers um, playing those heavy minutes or, or those minutes after a special teams event has occurred. But we always used to say as useless of a stat in a lot of senses as plus minus can be, they always say a good mark of a bottom six player is a plus minus that's even or better because at worst you're keeping the puck out of your net and doing your job of giving your offensive scorers a chance to go in with a clean slate and try to take advantage Mm -hmm. of the offensive situation of a tie game or a lead in that, in that case. So I think, uh, and I don't know if the guys is plus minus that are, that are predominantly our bottom six guys, but I I would imagine that it's not bad this year in a lot of respects. Um, You know, Ben, I don't know if you have the stats pulled up here. I do go, go for it. I mean, you're talking about guys that would fit in those situations. Jer- your Jerry Cockrells, your Will Hammers, Will guys Hammers. like that. Yeah. I mean, so Hammers a dash one. I mean, he's close. He's Not right bad. there. Yep. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Molinar. <clears throat> excuse me. Wow. Molinar's a plus two. Brand's a plus three. Uh, where are we at here? Jerry Cockrell. is a plus Jared one. Cockrell. So they're all right in that range where yep. you want to see him. Yeah. Yep. You're, to your point, that's where, that's where they're all at. Yeah. Versus I would, lo- I would love to see Nick, I'm going to kick it to you. I would love to see a team like Denver or Western Michigan and see what their similar comparisons would be. So uh, come back to me when Nick's done. 
Sure. <laughs> well, you know, so we just talked last show about Miko Koivu's retirement and the famous quote from Jacques Lemaire was Miko Koivu is a 50 goal guy. He's only going to score 10, but he's going to prevent 40. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. and that was early in his career. That was just the way he played. Now there were points in his career where he did have some good point numbers, but you know, early, you know, and for the type of center, the defensive responsible center that he was, that is probably the biggest compliment you can give uh, to that type of center was, you know, the plus minus, and we know that the plus minus, when that's a different debate topic is, you know, kind of a skewed thing, but but just on the surface level, you're right, Benny, you know, if you're at or near that even mark, that tells you you're doing Mm -hmm. your job. And at the end of it, you're carrying the workload for those other top six guys to do what they can do. And at the end of it, you know, especially in this conference, and the way that things are shaping up for the regionals, you're going to have high flying North Dakota. You're going to have St. Cloud state, maybe Minnesota. And to me, it's going to be more about those bottom six guys keeping yeah. the puck of your own net than it is going to be about scoring. Because again, it's going to be those very, you know, I guess low scoring tight games you have to win. And to me, it's going to be more about, you know, controlling the defensive end than it's about on the offensive end you know, for either squad. Yeah. Well, uh, I just pulled up Western stats. They're, they're skewed. Well, let's keep in mind guys. Yeah. They gave up 18 goals in two games. Yep. So I, their numbers are, <clears throat> they're not great. Um, you know, what about, what about a team? Uh, and you can continue here, Ben. What about a team? Are you able to get Denver's up? Cause I feel like Denver is that middle of the pack team. That might be a really good, compare. even, even a team, maybe like Omaha, you know, I know they got blasted uh, for a six goal deficit yesterday, but maybe even those teams, maybe even Duluth might be a team that has a couple of those guys, you know, and I know I'm making you work. Ben's our new stats guy. Ben's our new stats guy. I'm a stat nerd at heart, believe it or not. (laughs) Ben, what do you think? I think think Western's Western's would be a lot better if it wasn't for the two game, but they're, they're not as bad as I thought they would. Cause as soon as I pulled that up, I, I thought about that. Um, You know, for Denver, you're looking at, you know, their, their numbers are pretty good in that regard. Um, they don't have a lot of dashes. Um, Mendel's dash nine, but he's a D yeah, they're, they're, they're right around there. They're all, they're all within, you know, two or three of even. Right. And that, and that begs the question you can, um, and again, plus minus, you have to take it with a grain of salt, you know, like you said, you know, if you look at Miami's plus minus for a lot of those guys, they might be like dash 10 dash 12, you know, that just says what it is. But that also tells you if you're looking at your bottom six guys and they're even, but your top guys are dash seven dash eight what does that yeah. tell you it means that that means that these top end guys are probably getting hemmed in their own zone and they're not finding a way to produce i would really be curious as a yeah. guy who loves to muck barn yourself ben uh what do you think your career plus minus was be would be <laughs> well i played with two pretty talented guys my senior year um <laughs> brought that average up oh yeah well you know i i, I prided myself that's why i've always had an affection for, you know, the bottom six. Did I tell yeah. you what Mel Pearson said to me a couple of weeks ago, Michigan's head coach in regard to that? Let's hear it. So, you know, it had been six or seven years since I'd done a Michigan game being in the NCHC as long as I, I have and was. And I said, Mel, you know, my love for the bottom six, you know, and he goes, Benny, he goes, I know you like those guys, but I want 12 guys that can score. I don't have a bottom six. I got 12 guys that can score. But he he knew where I was going, so you know, and, in, and in terms of a couple guys that were that fit that mold, that you know, they're they're willing to do a little bit more and a few more or a couple more of the little things that maybe the the higher end skill guys don't. Um, so yeah, that's it was just kind of funny. It, and it's a fair point. I remember so when I was playing in college, and I love playing on the line I was on, but I was with two guys who were five six, little speedster guys, right? 
it was all well and dandy until none of them wanted to be F1 and go in the corner to fish the puck out. They're in front of the I net. love that. I love I love killing penalties and I love doing yep. that. Yeah. Can I throw some can I throw some stats out to you guys since we were yeah. on the you know talking yeah. about so plus minus what I like to look at as goal fours and goals against for the team. So let's take away the 18 yeah. um that uh Western Michigan was sort of they're actually a plus two in that regard. So they're even. How about to Omaha? Let's take away the minus six they had from yesterday. They're gonna be a plus fifteen. Wow. So I was gonna say eight or nine. Yes, they're yeah. they're up there. They're actually a plus nine right yeah. now. Uh, St. Cloud State a plus seventeen on the season. Um, to me, if if you're St. Cloud, you want the th- you want the standings to stay where they're at. Because Colorado College, thirty four goals for that's the least in the NCHC, Ooh. and they give up sixty eight. They're a minus thirty four in that regards. Yeah. So to I, me, that that's that's a big part of it. Now Denver. Minus seven, 52, four, 59 again. So to me, Denver, as we talked about okay. before, Denver, maybe the surprise team of this year, just not quite the same team. I think the goals for goals against, you know, really does show they're not having that same firepower they've seen years past and defensively uh, not quite as strong as we've seen them in years past. Well, and they lost, I believe it was three, one goal games in the first three or the first four or five games in Omaha to start their year. And Correct. You know, th- those were losses to St. Cloud, North Dakota and Duluth. I mean, the three pretty good hockey teams. So go, yes. go back to um, especially in the mid 2010s, go back to these teams, you know, the AC LA Kings, a lot of these teams that, um, you know, have won cups in recent years, St. Louis blues, you look hot at the goaltenders, hot goaltenders. Yes. But yeah. you also look at, you know, I, I don't, I don't remember if you played in la, in the playoffs, but you, yes, you're going to have your guys like, you know, your Tarasenko's, your Ryan O'Reilly's, you know, your yep. big guns are going to show up and they're almost going to cancel each other out in a lot of respects. Cause there's a lot of ice that's difficult to grab. If you're a star player, especially in a playoff game, um, mm. you look at the guys that are the difference makers in a lot of those matchups. It is your bottom six guys. It's your Patrick Maroons, right? It's your yep. third pairing defensemen that, that are going to be the shutdown guys that they might only give you 10 minutes a night, but those 10 minutes are all defensive zone draws, heavy minutes yep. on the penalty mm-hmm. kill, things like that. Um, and I think St. Cloud has a really nice mix that not to go back to 2018 one once again, but one, they didn't face that adversity. Yes. But no. two, you know, being able to even last year when we saw this team that was kind of budding and growing the seeds of what this year would be, they won those games, you know, at home against North Dakota. They got outplayed for almost 40, 45 minutes of those yep. hockey games stuck in their own zone, just chipping pucks off the glass, being opportunistic. But if you're able to understand how to weather the storm, because it doesn't matter who you are. If you win a national championship, whatever team wins a national championship, they're going to have at least one period or half of a hockey game where they're going to be the worst team than the team that they're playing. And they're going to weather the storm. I think back to the golden Gophers, the the game that they won with half a second against North Dakota, one of my favorite moments of all time, because screw North Dakota. Um, So you think about that hockey game, they'll go back and watch that game. If you can find a, if you can find a full replay, that game should have been eight to one, North Dakota. Yeah. North Dakota was all over them. And I remember my dad and I, of course, cheering for the Gophers at that time, jumping off our couch, not because the Gophers were going to win, but because we knew the hellscape that we just watched for 60 minutes and what we had just escaped, knowing that yeah. we literally pulled a CC and stole a hockey game. Yeah, I mean, yeah go ahead, Benny. Sorry. No, you go. You go. I was going to say, so, you know, it, it becomes about close games. So here's something <clears throat> else. Overtime wins. The top four teams in the NCHC, eight. 
overtime wins. The wow. bottom four, just one. And who has it? That's a great question. Western Michigan has one. So a bottom team and a team that could literally potentially be in fifth place. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that and that to me, it's, it's how you weather the storm. It's how you keep a game close. We saw with CC the other day with Duluth getting out shot. Sometimes it's, it's one shot, right, boys? That's right. Um, it it yep. was, you know, you just, it's one shot away. If you can keep yourself close. I mean, look, mm-hmm. what, look what AIC did to St. Cloud State. Their game plan was take away the speed of St. Cloud. What they do, they never broke the puck out it basically in a constructive way for off hockey. The glass. It was either yep. off the glass or it was a flip out of the zone. And they just said, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to win that first foot race. Yep. And if not, we're just going to throw it back out to neutralize it. We're just going to wear yourself down. That's and all that, it was. And, and that goal, yeah. and that goal that CC scored, right, Ben, we were talking about that, how CC yeah. kept themselves in that hockey game. Yeah. They had one shot on three entire power plays somehow scored to tie the game. Right. Like Nick mentions, keeping yeah. it close. You're over here on my screen or something. Um, and then you look at the game winner for CC in that Duluth game. All it starts is an F1 being a buzzsaw, winning yeah. a battle below the goal line and throwing a puck to the middle of the ice. Good things happen when you go to the net. And I think yeah. St. Cloud, you know, when you look at CC and what they did against Duluth, take a page out of that playbook. I don't care if CC is four and 15 or whatever they are. You know, you look at tendencies like that, where if you have a Duluth defenseman that, yes, they had 43 shots on goal, they're maybe not expecting to lose that foot race with two minutes left in the hockey game. All of a sudden, you look around, it's a little Mark Johnson slipping past the Soviet Union defense. He's right by you before you even know it, and boom. You know, yeah. I mean, that's what I it mean, takes. It's, it's simple to me, it, especially this time of the year. Any coach is going to tell you, we want to be uncomfortable to play against. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, going back to last season again, Nick and, 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 uh, Jack. and uh, Jack Paling were, they were that. You, you talked about them, you know, doing what they did in North Dakota. They were a pain in the ass to play against. And that's what, that's what teams, and specifically we're talking about the Huskies here, they got to do that. Hammer and Cockrell and those guys, they got to be a pain in the ass to play against. And they got to go in and bang bodies, lay the body, get on it, keep pucks deep and, and go to work. And that's, I think back to when Western Michigan had that two, one win against St. Cloud state in the pod, they kind of were finding their footing, but they clogged it up. They did exactly what Nick talked about a minute ago about AIC. We're not going to, we're not going to do a three man weave to get out of our end here. We're going to chip. We're going to chase. We're going to dump. We're going to flip. We're going to bang you. We're going to crash you. That's what they got to have out of those guys. And I think they got a chance to make a pretty good run here. Uncomfortable to play against versus uncomfortable to watch. They're two totally different things. <laughs> I, I want to posit one last thing for you guys. And you guys are our, you guys are our de facto stats guys for the day here. Um, I want you guys to do something for me. Either of you, doesn't matter who it is. Can you look up how many penalties Seamus Donahue has this year? And I want to address this right point. Here, I, I want to address this point just for the specific fact that there's kind of this uh, frustration with how many penalties uh, that Seamus Donahue has this year. Um, how many? How many? 12 minutes. So he has six penalties the entire year. That's all he's got. Uh, the top guy on the team is, looks like Brodzinski with 11. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's where I, I've seen, and maybe we want to address this quickly here. I, I've just seen a lot of people saying, you know, how, how is Donahue, you know, making these boneheaded plays or having all these penalties? And I'm like, I don't remember him being in the box all that no, much. He's you know, smart. He's not. He's not. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mark, I think, I think honestly, I think honestly, it's no, if there's one thing that could, and I think we all would agree on this, if there's one thing that could kill the Huskies, it's themselves and getting too much in the box. They were doing yeah. that earlier in the season. Yeah. And yeah, that's this PK has been good, but you give teams like North Dakota, Minnesota, other yeah. really good power play teams, enough firepower, they're eventually going to burn you. So to me, St. Cloud state. And again, we talk about this all the time with Brodzinski. The reason why he's taking those penalties, a lot of times he's ended up on the wrong side of the puck. He's chasing it's ticking fraction penalties. If those are the things you can eliminate, no, granted, with Seamus Donahue, he's getting penalties because he's roughing people up. I mean, he's a guy that's, yeah. you know, that sort of that same paper guy along with Nick Perbix, and I don't really have an issue with Seamus Donahue. Sometimes there's good penalties to take. At the end of it, if you can eliminate those types of stick and fraction penalties where you're indicating to us that you're chasing the game and just allowing your guys to play five-on-five, Timmy Sankle State's a really good five-on-five team, but you yeah. got to keep it five-on-five. You have to stay out of the box and control what you can control and allow the other team to get frustrated. That's how you win those playoff-type hockey games coming down the stretch here. 85% they are on the PK, so just over 85. Which is which Pretty is interesting. Number. Which is it, it is a good number. They were yeah. almost ninety two percent exiting the pod. So I mean, Saint yeah. Cloud has given up a little bit. But again, when you're ninety two percent, it's like anybody's grades and academics, right? As soon as you get like three wrong, your grade tanks because of how good you're actually doing. <laughs> so um, that would be me and and my schooling. Um, but uh, guys, do we have anything else to add about this Saint Cloud State men's hockey team here? Don't forget Saint Cloud. Uh, Nick, can you inform the listeners? how the new scheduling is going to work because it was supposed to be a a Friday, Saturday matchup for the Huskies this upcoming weekend against Duluth. They're going to be spread out over the next two weeks as are the North Dakota and Omaha series. Sure. So it's Saturday in Duluth, that Friday game that was supposed to happen in the Herbrooks national hockey center was moved to Saturday the 6th. Um, It still will be broadcast on Fox nine plus. So that doesn't change. It will be a matinee game on that Saturday in the Herbrooks national hockey center at two o'clock, I believe is the start time. um, If I'm remembering correctly, but either way, I I think it's a precautionary thing as far as COVID's concerned. Um, I also think, you know, for, for St. Cloud, if, if I'm a player on this team, and if I'm Brett Larson, I actually love this scheduling change because, as we said, this past week it was a one game against CC. Now it's one game against Duluth. You get some time off. It's that one game that you have to come into, you prepare for it, and it's, it's yeah. if you want to call it single elimination. So you're getting yourself ready for the NCHC tournament. I love the scheduling change. And at the end of it, I, it just prepares you mentally to have them go to a one-and-done game. And so, to me, um, you know, for the fans – it's more hockey throughout the and you don't get that week off. But at the end of it, to me, it's more about how can these guys take a one game opportunity and then put their best game on the ice before we get to the tournament, which is, you know, again, one and done. And we'll keep you updated on what those times are. Even, even uh, you know, most of the schedules, even on the, the school website does not have that time change or those date changes. So we're going to yep. keep you updated. You know, if anything else does change, anything happens, obviously. Um, women's hockey finishing the season in Bemidji at the Sanford Center Friday, Saturday, this weekend, hopefully. Um, like I mentioned, the Minnesota Wild have four games uh, going on. Uh, ben, what does Ben Holden have going on this week? <laughs> Well, I got to answer a question you asked me like a half hour ago. Oh, Sidney Crosby? No. Oh. Gretzky, Howe, or Lemieux, Messier. That's my top five. That almost sounded like a, like a rudimentary sentence. Gretzky, Howe, or... <laughs> That's how you talk, right, Ben? That's why you got the big bucks, right? Yeah. Not much, man. I'm just trying to stay busy, man. And uh, 
you know, I don't have a game until the six, so I don't know what game that is yet for big 10. Mm -hmm. So I'm just hanging and uh, doing some work. Like I said earlier on some other things. So I'm, uh, I'm always happy to do this with you guys. It was fun today. And we uh, went a little off the cuff here and I think that's good, man. It's, yeah. uh, it was a fun show guys. I'm learning how to give medications this week. So look out boys. Um, we need to talk about that. Yeah, I, I did finish my clinical return last week, which is pretty much a simulation where you get watched for an hour and judge on every little move that move and breath you take. It's kind of nerve wracking. Um, but before we go, Nick, um, like you mentioned, the Husky is supposed to play on March 6th. Um, do you remember between the two of us what March 6th signifies? Get a little romantic here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Romance. Was that, was that, our, was that our last game in Duluth? It's our last game in Duluth, so do you know what else that means? I don't know. That was the last – oh, yeah. It was thankfully the last time I had to ever see you in person. That is the last time <laughs> Nick – is the last time Nick Max oh, and I have ever seen, <laughs> seen each other in person. Do you remember that <laughs> night when we were driving home? It turns out, Ben, at that point, it turns out that I had had strep throat for seven days and didn't know it. I had strep throat and an infection. And I was hurting so bad that I was standing next to the Zamdor. I was actually mock interviewing Scott Prunovich's mom because she wanted me to pretend interviewer because it was senior night that night. Um, so Scott Prunovich's mom has a video of me on her phone. Kind of weird. But I, because um, I remember my arm was hurting so bad that we were driving home because we, we went to eat somewhere. We tried to get some food and I and I was like just popping pain, pain pills like I probably shouldn't have been. Um, turns out I was sick for 24 days. Maybe you had COVID then. Yeah, I, I was Maybe actually the did. first case, didn't know it. I'd have. Because then that was the week after we were getting ready for the Western Michigan series, and Nick was on a beach in Florida getting ready to shadow Rick Peckham for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I like the sound point. of that. And we are we are about yeah. two, two and a half weeks removed from this being a year since we you know, have seen each other, which thankfully it's... Sounds like Nick's okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll reserve comment, but a uh, nice hip of uh, you know, a nice hip of violation for yourself there, you know, talking about all your medical stuff that was going on. That was nice. Well, it's I not just, a last thing you'll hear. Last thing you hear from me on the show today is I love the smoke. You're an absolute <laughs> smoke show. <laughs> hey, technically I will say because it's a simulated client, it's actually not a HIPAA violation because I didn't tell you her name. I told her, told you what I did. So <laughs> Don't be, don't be coming after me with this HIPAA stuff. You live with a doctor and you can't even handle me. I, I don't, first of all, I don't live with her. And yeah, I know that if you want to talk about having every, every move you want to criticize, yeah, there you go. So can, can we have Nick's, Nick's pretty well versed in like law and attorney based stuff. And I'm well versed yes. in medical stuff and Ben's well versed in how to not be an idiot like we are. So um, I'm just I, well versed in BS, man. So it's professional, you know, there you go. Hey, in North, in paid North, the bills for 26 years, boys. In North Dakota, when you live with a bunch of farmers, BSing is a rite of passage. If you can't do it, you, you get kicked out of the state. The state. So, uh, with that being said, we're gonna get rid of all this BS that we've been talking about. Like we mentioned, men's hockey back in action, women's hockey uh, hopefully back in action, NCHC hockey going on. Of course, Nick, Ben, and I will have all things related to college and Huskies hockey for you. That will do it for the big five Oh episode number 50. Don't forget episode number 51 coming up next week, as well as episode number 50s healthy scratch interview segment guests in will hammer and Micah Miller, those glue guys, baby, nice. those, those grinders, those bottom six guys. Don't know if they play at uh, Michigan apparently, cause he wants guys that can score, but what do you yeah. got here, Ben? Uh, I'm going to put together 
by the time we tape that interview for release on on Tuesday, yeah, I'm putting together my top five or my my all name team. Hammer's the first guy, man. He, he first time I saw oh, him, yeah. I'm like this guy, I don't care what he does, if he plays, if he doesn't, he's on the all name team. So I'm gonna put together, uh, I'm gonna round out another five guys to go with Will on the all name team in college hockey this year. Ooh, okay. So what are we talking all time? Like all time? No, just just guys playing this year. Guys playing this year. Oof. I mean, we yeah. can do it either way, but I was just going to do, you know, to compliment Will and two more forwards, two D and a goalie. That's fair. That's fair. All we'll right. see where it goes with the boys when we tape. Yeah, we just got to get to tomorrow night so we can actually tape with the guys. Speaking of which, I got to send those guys a link too. But make sure to check out our links on the Huskies Warming House podcast.com. Podbean, iTunes, you know where to find us and you know where to find us both Tuesday and next week. We'll see you back here in the den. <laughs>